Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. The stock market took a dive today, one day after Fed Chair Jerome Powell warned of a lengthy economic recovery with continuing high unemployment. It could be some years before we get back to those people finding jobs. The latest jobs report released last Friday showed a slight decline from April to May, but the Fed projects a steep drop in employment by year's end. Low-wage, as well as black and Latino communities, have been among the hardest hit. Coming up on Forum, we'll look at what the latest data means for the Bay Area and California economies. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Even as California businesses are starting to reopen, economists warn that the worst could be yet to come as far as unemployment. The extra $600 per week unemployment benefit will be ending soon, and prospects for hiring are bleak as employers continue shedding workers. In May, the monthly jobless rate dropped to 13.3% from 14.7%. That's according to a Bureau of Labor Statistics report released last Friday. But a temporary drop may not signal that the economy is on the upswing just yet, economists have said. Also, policymakers are looking at how to reverse the more severe unemployment rates among blacks and other minority groups. And in this hour of forum, we're going to discuss unemployment and what could lie ahead for workers and for the overall economy. Joining us is Stephen Levy, director of the Center for Continuing Study of the California Economy. Welcome, Steve Levy. Good morning. Good morning. We'll also say good morning to Jed Coco, who is chief economist for Indeed and former economist for Trulia, an online real estate market. Welcome, Jed Coco. Morning. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we also want to welcome Erica Groshen. Erica Groshen is faculty member at Cornell University, former commissioner for the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And good morning to you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you with us. So let me begin, Erica Groshen, if I may, with you. Uh, I want to get your response to Federal Chair Jerome Powell saying that 20 million jobs were lost in net since uh, February, and that's probably understating it. Uh, 
and the rates are probably, according to him, going to stay high. Is there any light in all of this? I think the, the major uh, source of light is how many of these jobs lost are, uh, are cases where the worker and the employer actually maintain a tie to each other. That is, uh, uh, most of them, uh, the vast bulk, are people on temporary layoff. Now, that doesn't mean that they will be called back or they will be called back quickly, but it's certainly better than if all of these workers were cut loose and did not maintain this uh, attachment to their employer. But according, again, to Jerome Powell, millions probably won't get their old jobs back. Um, I th I th I'm sure that many of them won't, but it, uh, here's where policy will make a huge amount of difference and also the path of the virus because... Well, the longer they're out of work, the less likely the the uh, the tie is to be uh, uh, still be viable, right? The less likely they are to be recalled to the same job. The more likely it is that the employer won't survive to, to recall the workers. The more likely that there will be structural changes in the meantime. So uh, policies that may help maintain the tie will be important. And as we move out of our medically induced coma, the shutdowns that we had for the first uh, couple of months or so of, of this uh, of the COVID uh, crisis, um, the more we as we move out of that into having more of the typical cyclical disruption, uh, then fiscal policy is going to be huge, and particularly stimulus policy. And I'm wondering if you could also comment. Uh, I heard you talk to Kai uh, Rizal uh, about uh, mm -hmm. Kai Rizdal, excuse me, about uh, the, the miscalculation. In other words, numbers that were put out earlier that President Trump said uh, uh, George Floyd should be in heaven glad about uh, unemployment numbers that turned out to be uh, much in dispute and, and turned out to be wrong, frankly. And how does a miscalculation of that place, uh, of that seriousness take place is really what I want to ask you. You said uh, to Kai that you didn't think the books were cooked at all, but there's some strange things still that uh, I want to get to with you. That is, you had a lot of those in, in uh, food service and retail uh, who simply were out of work and were not, uh, were, were figured in there as gains. How do you make that kind of miscalculation? Okay, so so let's go um, uh, let's go back to how the um, how the employment situation, which is this monthly jobs report that the BLS puts out, um, you know, what is what does that actually come from? And it's important for observers to understand that there are two very separate surveys that that go into this one report. One is a survey of households, and one is a survey of employers. And uh, the, the survey of employers called the payroll survey uh, provides a really good uh, estimate of the number of the, um, the net jobs created or lost over the last month. The household survey is where we get the unemployment rate because obviously employers don't know who's employed. They only know who's employed, right? And um, so the household survey uh, is uh, a really interesting survey conducted monthly uh, 60,000 households are asked about their labor market activity. And uh, we can, I can go into this in a lot more detail, but the, the main idea is that it's very important to ask the, the same questions in the same way over time so that you have a valid time series. Unfortunately, what happened here was that this big shock that's led to historical changes in all sorts of ways revealed a weakness 
in that questioning, which, although it had been noticed one bef once before, had never been this consequential. And so it, uh, it led to this misclassification of workers. And what do I mean by classification? Well, the, this, the survey doesn't actually ask people, are you employed, are you unemployed, are you uh, out of the labor force? Instead, it asks, them a, it asks people a whole series of questions. And then the BLS has protocols that assign them into buckets, employed, unemployed, out of the labor force. And the, 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 the train of questions that led to calling, that led people to be put into the bucket called employed, misclassified a large group of people who we, who with the, um, the normal measurement concept for people on temporary layoff would actually belong in the temporary layoff category. And so BLS called everybody's attention to that and suggested that there was this, uh, you know, that, um, that, that the true unemployment rate was probably higher than estimated in March, April, and May, although the, the difference between the two of them uh, declined over time. Again, we're talking to Erica Groshen. Uh, she's a faculty member at Cornell University, also former commissioner of Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, Steve Levy, I get back to the point, though, about uh, those numbers being implausible. Uh, food service and retail were shut down, and a lot of those numbers have to do, presumably, with the fact that uh, there were time-limited paychecks under the Paycheck Protection Program. Sure. At the big picture level, there was a little bit of good news in May. It wasn't in this report, but it's important for listeners to know that in May, more stimulus checks were sent out. EDD worked through some of the unemployment glitches and started to pay unemployment benefits that were retroactive. It didn't matter when you were filed. And in the end of May, they extended unemployment insurance coverage to gig workers. And so there was a whole series of support payments, including the, the PPP, where small businesses could get a loan that could be forgiven if they agreed to use a large share to keep people on the payroll. Um, that points in a direction that we're probably going to need to go in the future. As you said, some of these programs are going to run out in a month or two, and they were the mainstay of income for folks. In terms of what happened in the job market, um, the report really overstated it to the extent that people in retail and restaurants were um, rehired. Um, my coffee shop started to do takeout, but those people were rehired on a very, very part-time basis. So if there were six people that were there before, when they reopened and did takeout, they allocated that shift one day to each person. And so um, that counts as a job, but it's very, very, very part-time. Um, in California, we can expect that the numbers will be um, even more disappointing because we were uh, much more cautious in reopening in May. And so I suspect that um, our report comes out next week. We'll show a true picture that this is going to be a very, very long recovery. And as the professor from Cornell said, we really need um, to keep this going, a major stimulus package that will 
um, create jobs and can, by the way, do a lot of good things. It can retrofit buildings. It can build housing for homeless and low-income folks. It can work off the backlog of transportation investments. But we need more than support <coughs> support payments. We need uh, fiscal Maybe we policy. need a Marshall Plan, some are saying, uh, or something well, along those lines. It could be. It could be a Marshall Plan. We need a major, a major um, post-pandemic investment program. This is going to be a long slog, and policy will make a huge difference in how it hits people and how fast the economy can recover. And that's um, if we don't have a, a, a really big increase in cases, which I'm reading where many states are beginning to have a surge in cases now. So that's a wild card. Well, the other uh, thing that has to be moved forward here is some kind of legislation or con the Congressional Budget Office, though, uh, more pessimistic even than the feds. And I want to get back to the feds because the interest rate uh, that's pledged now is near zero, and that's pledged through 2022. Uh, but it's booing up Wall Street more than it is Main Street. I mean, that's the argument that we keep hearing, and I think that's true. And the Fed is, uh, in many people's minds, deep in wealth inequality. Uh, the, uh, the fact is black unemployment and, and unemployment of Latinos is, uh, it's always been higher, but it's higher than it's ever been. Well, I think that's true. Um, recessions always hit um, lower wage workers, which are disproportionately Latino and african-american harder um but i i really think we need to raise everybody's boat here um i wouldn't worry so much about the stock market the main deal that will hold back the recovery is my wife and i think about even if we have the money which we do and places are reopening are we feeling comfortable to do it are we feeling comfortable to fly? And so one of the things that's going to prolong this a lot, and there's not really a lot of policy, is that people are more cautious about going out. And so you can reopen, but if nobody comes, then then what do you do? So a lot of it's going to depend on on really safety procedures at these places, folks getting comfortable that they really can go out safely and that could take a long time. And let me bring uh, Jed Coco into this. Jed Coco, again, is chief economist for Indeed and former economist for Trulia, an online real estate market. Uh, we're talking about a recession that could last for years here, and we're talking about permanent unemployment still rising. So uh, one can be pretty pessimistic in the wake of this pandemic and the effect of it. Jed, let's hear from you. That's right. There are two things happening uh, at the same time. There's, of course, uh, the very acute crisis in the economy, um, and that has uh, been um, the shutdown of many key sectors. Um, some are starting to reopen up in some ways. Um, that acute crisis could flare up again, um, depending on what happens with the virus um, and whether we need to uh, return to some of those shutdowns. Um, but at the same time, um, the big question is whether um, this acute crisis turns into a more chronic condition for the labor market. Um, whereas this acute crisis um, has been uh, a story of uh, very high unemployment, but as Erica said, 
um, most of which three quarters at the moment um, is being uh, reported, uh, hopefully as temporary. Um, but some of that uh, is already turning into uh, more permanent job losses, uh, a more chronic condition uh, that may look more like a conventional prolonged slowdown like we had in the Great Recession. Um, a lot of the policy efforts so far uh, have been aimed at trying to prevent this acute crisis um, from turning into a chronic condition. But one of the things that we saw clearly um, in the jobs report last Friday from May um, is that even though uh, the temporary unemployment fell, um, and that was the reason why overall unemployment fell, um, there was an increase in people who had permanently lost their jobs. Um, and that's really a key number to watch uh, as a sign of this growing chronic condition um, that's going to have to become uh, the main focus, even after this acute crisis um, might subside. Well, we live with uh, constant uncertainty, but the administration, that is the Trump administration, is trying to put a pretty good face on this. Uh, they're talking about uh, consumer business spending picking up and uh, con consumer buying and business picking up, uh, but we're in this uncertainty. We don't even know if we're going to uh, face a second wave of this uh, virus. But let me just get the picture from you, Jeb, in, in, in terms of uh, what we're talking about with respect to the help that has been on the way and that has been essentially, I'm talking, of course, about $600 unemployment every week that was added to unemployment. That ends on July 31st. Uh, and California's had a ban on evictions that also ends at the end of July. This does not exactly give one a, a, a heartening feeling. I don't want to be too gloomy here or pessimistic, but uh, especially the possibility of a second wave here looks bad, looks very bad. The ending of those extended benefits um, is a big deal. Um, that's going to affect um, what a lot of people will be able to spend um, once those benefits end. Um, that's on top of what might happen with the virus. Um, those benefits um, may end uh, regardless of whether we see uh, a second wave uh, of infections and death that might necessarily uh, lead us to be in another kind of stay-at-home shutdown. So there really are lots of uncertainties, um, some on the public health side, uh, some on the policy side. Uh, and that's why even though the unemployment rate did fall a little bit in May, um, you know, this is no time uh, to get complacent about the labor market. Let me bring our listeners into this. Uh, we're talking about the latest unemployment numbers and what could lie ahead for workers in the overall economy. By the end of October, we're also talking about uh, many of these student loans that have been forgiven up until now, and a temporary pause will come back to have to be paid. And so there's a lot that has to be seen in this. There's also the possibility of um, uh, other, another, well, mortgages, for example, had a pause as well, mortgage payments by the end of October. That'll uh, and so trying to take the short view and the long view is very difficult when we're facing this pandemic. But we'd like to hear your thoughts and about uh, the latest economic news. Um, what concerns do you have about jobs and, for that matter, about the economy? And if you're unemployed, are you concerned about losing your job? You can give us a call right now, and I invite you to do that. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. Join us toll-free, 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. You can also let us know your thoughts and get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. 
Jed Coco with us, chief economist for job posting site Indeed and former economist for Trulia. They're an online real estate information company. And Stephen Levy, who is director of the Center for Continuing Study for the California Economy, with us as well. And Erica Groshen, who is faculty member at Cornell and University, excuse me, at Cornell University and former commissioner with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, can we go back just for a minute, uh, Steve Levy, to you? I'd like to get your thoughts about what I brought up earlier, and that is uh, the rather concerning numbers about uh, people of color, and particularly black and brown people, and the loss of jobs there. Uh, many of them, of course, in jobs that are simply not going to be coming back. And uh, we're talking about people who, well, according to federal data, nearly 40% of households don't have enough cash on hand or in the bank to cover an emergency of, say, $400, an expense of $400. So they lose their job, they're out of work, and uh, they don't have extra hours. Um, talking about terribly vulnerable population here of people, and a great number of them are people of color. Um, you're absolutely correct. That That's true. That's been true before the pandemic. Um, as an economist, two thoughts come to mind, and the, um, Erica and Jed have mentioned both of them. One is that we're going to need to find some way to continue support programs. Um, there's a debate about whether we should have extended unemployment insurance or whether um, we might swap that out for a wage subsidy to help um, employers hire more people back. Um, people are going to need um, forgiveness on their or extension on their rent in mortgages. So we have the support bucket. But what's going to address your question of the inequalities that have persisted forever is a major, you called it a Marshall Plan, a major stimulus program. Um, we had that under Obama in 2008. We could multiply that by 10. We need a major um, job creation program. And although it's a little bit wonky, we need to rethink our training efforts, our education and training efforts, because a large part of the disparities for African-Americans and Latinos are low levels of education and, and skills. I'm sure there is some um, inequality in pay for people with equal skills, but a lot of it um, has to do with education and training. Um, and let me throw in Steve, I can just throw in another uh, number here, though. You have 3.2 million fewer blacks employed than before the crisis. So we're, ta I mean, we're talking about something that is far more serious and far more challenging than ever before. Yeah. Um, let me talk about one example that we're working at with our um, Silicon Valley Workforce Board. Um, if you talk about people who may not get their jobs back immediately, think of the tourism sector um, and it's going to be a long time between before air travel really returns and so that's going to affect hotels and amusements and the retail that's and restaurants that are related to that um, even though some of those people may be offered jobs in a year that's not going to work for them so how do we retrain them for some of the jobs that are going to continue and going to increase because those people are going to go a long time without having any full-time work. And as you said, those occupations are disproportionately um, 
low income and African American and Latino folks. And that's that's one of the areas where those jobs just may not come back in time for them. So they're going to have to get help to find something else. And our workforce board is, is struggling to to come up with a program. With that, I, I know that Mayor Licardo in San Jose is convening a group of people to discuss exactly the the same thing because we know that air travel and the associated industries are not going to come back to 100% anytime soon. Well, we are going to come back to you after a brief break. And again, if you just join us, we're talking about the latest unemployment numbers and what could lie ahead for workers uh, and for the overall economy. And if you want to end, lend your voice here, we do want to hear from you, your concerns about jobs and the economy. And if you're unemployed or concerned about losing your job, give us a call, 866-733-6786. You can join us now. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the economy, about the latest unemployment numbers, and I brought up race uh, before we went to that break because the black and white divide is as big economically as it was back in 1968, and it just seems to be getting bigger, unfortunately. And also, the budget deficit has doubled in eight months of the fiscal year to $1.88 trillion, and that's a record. I want to go to your calls, and again, if you have concerns or if you have something you want to add to this conversation, Join us toll-free, 866-733-6786, or email us, forum at kqed.org. And let's begin with Cole. Cole, join us. Yes, hi. Um, I am a musician and have a second job as well in sales, uh, which also probably isn't the best job to have right now. And I was just curious what your thoughts were and the guests' thoughts were about how music jobs come back and and, and what we... Uh, what we miss out on in terms of the soul of our country by um, losing so so many gigs and losing so much uh, local scene when it comes to music and the arts. Cole, thank you for that question. And uh, let me go to you on this, Jed Coco. I don't know if you can read tea leaves here, but uh, have something to say about those kind of jobs, like musician jobs and so forth? Jobs in the music industry and other arts and entertainment industries um, definitely uh, affected um, more by the shutdown than most industries. Um, so much uh, of arts and entertainment happen uh, in person. Um, surveys of what people are willing uh, to do uh, post-virus um, tend to put things like going to a concert um, near the bottom of the list. That's one of the last things it sounds like people will feel comfortable doing. Um, and so, you know, that's... Uh, an industry uh, that's really been hit hard um, in this acute crisis. Um, the music industry um, has, at the same time um, now, uh, for many years, um, made you know, some shift between um, the analog and in-person world and digital. Um, lots of changes already uh, in terms of the business model for the music industry. Um, and you know, some of those changes um, may be a foundation um, for opportunities within music um, that uh, may be harder to create uh, in other kinds of arts and entertainment sectors um, that hadn't gone as digital um, as music had. But I think um, arts and entertainment is a really critical example uh, of uh, the type of industry and type of activity um, that we um, might think very differently about um, for a long time. 
Um, it's not one of the industries um, where, you know, switching to working from home um, is uh, fairly easy. And people, you know, talk about how, like, they might be able to work in this way for a long time. If I could, uh, I could sort of laser in just a moment here, Jed. Uh, Erica Gershon, I heard you. I want to go to you in just a second. But sure. let me go back to Jed Coco about uh, the Bay Area here. Job postings are actually lagging here in the Bay Area, aren't they? That's right. At Indeed, we're able to look at uh, the number of job postings on our site. Uh, and we're able to look at that all the way down um, to local areas. Um, initially, um, when uh, the pandemic first hit, um, the places uh, where job postings uh, fell the most uh, were tourist and travel destinations. Uh, Vegas, Orlando, Honolulu, small ski towns, beach resorts, and so on. Um, but as the pandemic and crisis continue, um, we're now seeing uh, bigger drops in job postings uh, in places like the Bay Area. The Bay Area, Seattle, Boston, um, big cities that tend to be more resilient um, in general, to the ups and downs of the economy, um, but uh, in fact, are seeing bigger drops in job postings. Um, some of the sectors uh, that are so prevalent in places like the Bay Area, tech certainly, um, and finance, um, have really pulled back uh, on job postings. Um, these are sectors um, that uh, tend to take a long view uh, about hiring, um, and the uncertainty in the economy right now uh, has really uh, held back uh, hiring uh, in tech and other similar um, high-paid sectors. And again, Jed Coco is chief economist for job posting site Indeed. Erica Groshen, you had something you wanted to add here? Yeah, I was going to um, uh, you know, uh, respond to the caller by by noting that musicians have have been affected strongly by technical change and change in tests uh, and tastes uh, over time. And this, um, this is likely to be another one of those inflection points. So, you know, the nature of, 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 of music um, and, and the business of music changed a lot when recording became available. And all of a sudden, um, instead of most you know, really high proportion of music being played by amateurs at home and with their friends was replaced by recording, which meant that some uh, musicians could uh, could earn vastly more money and, um, and, and in good quality music could be spread much more widely. Uh, and for a long time, and th that led into a period of time where musicians, um, where it was the sell selling the recordings, that was the most expensive, um, the most lucrative part of performance. And so concerts sold records or, and then CDs. And then we moved into a world where that the replication became so easy that concerts went back to being, it was a CDs sold concerts and live performance became the main way that musicians made money. And now we're, you know, there's going to be another rethinking. And of course, the path of the virus is going to have a lot to do with this, but it's going to, you know, it's clearly going to be an area where there's going to be a lot of uh, innovation in the business models for music production. And uh, you know, I would encourage all musicians to be thinking hard about uh, how it is that they, you can change the business model so that you can support yourselves well going forward because the world needs the music and needs the events. And, uh, 
and I, I, I look forward to the creativity that will come from these essentially. Well, you have some uh, positive views, and I want to get to those because I, I think I've been putting uh, a pessimistic lens on this uh, because thing, with the pandemic and so forth, the possibility of a second wave and uh, money stopping for so many people and job stopping, it's hard not mm -hmm. to look at it in a grim way. But I want to get to another caller here, and that's Kyle, who's joining mm -hmm. us from Sacramento. Kyle, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I came from the hospitality industry, and when everything hit, it happened very quickly. Um, I think it's kind of a scary experience sitting back. I think the stimulus packages really honestly helped sustain my life and my wife. Um, but I think overall, this, the scary aspect is returning to industries that are impacted by the return of another. You know, we're talking about tech industries, and that can overlap something like Salesforce, Amazon. At a hotel, we can't throw events. And even with corporate changing those perspectives on how to do social distancing, it'll take about a year, year and a half for these things to go back to normal. And they don't expect jobs really in that industry to return until like March 2021. Um, so I think that there is a lot of good job postings out at the moment. Uh, but I think the really un uh, the real uncertainty is is just that return in the entertainment, as they were also commenting on music. Um, these all, all these things just have a really big play in the hand. And I just want to kind of bring up the subject that we have to have the perspective that not every industry is going to be able to return as quickly, even though it seems to be happening. But there's going to be this domino effect of those unemployed like myself that may not see the return of those jobs for quite some time. Yeah, important um, comment, so Kyle, I, and I thank you for yeah. it. Uh, and I want to go actually to another question from a listener, and I'll go back to you, Erica Groshen, on this. Uh, this is Matthew who says, I'm a 62-year-old man who was unemployed before the crisis. I have a Ph.D., lots of skills, but I'm finding it hard to get interviews. What are the prospects for older workers in the near term? I'm considering semi-retirement and greatly reduced long-term income. Also, will there be another 13-week extension to the normal 39 weeks? So those are all really great questions. Uh, the caller is, uh, is pointing to something that has been seen in past recessions, which are older workers are much less likely to lose their jobs during a recession. But if they do lose their jobs, they have a much longer period of unemployment uh, afterwards. So it, it is much more difficult for older workers to find a job, and particularly workers without college degrees. That's not this caller, but um, workers without a college degree. So that speaks to uh, the fact that we need um, that in order to, to get a, a stronger recovery, we certainly need to get the virus under control. And uh, I can say that uh, without having much in the way to add to how that should be done because I'm not an epidemiologist or doctor, but uh, that's going to be very important. Uh, the other thing that's going to be important is we're, we're sort of moving from, uh, the shutdown was all about putting the economy in a medically induced coma. And so I don't call the, the policy steps that we've taken this far uh, as stimulus. They were not stimulus. They were life support. They were just keeping our economic body alive until we could start to wake it up again. Now uh, we're entering a period of a time when we probably do want some stimulus and we particularly want to be planning for the stimulus once we're sure that the virus is under control. And that is going to be very important to bouncing back because the hole that we're in is much deeper than the Great Recession. It's, uh, it's approaching depression levels, and 
the, one of the reasons the depression was a depression was because we got the policy so wrong in the past. And we want to avoid making all the mistakes that we did in the past. I think we're avoiding those with the monetary policy, the actions of the Fed. The question is, will we avoid them with the fiscal policy? Uh, and uh, by avoiding them, I mean uh, being willing to understand that it, it will take uh, spending on states, uh, state and local governments, infrastructure developments, and on workforce development, and, uh, uh, and things like extending unemployment insurance in order to get the economy back on the feet. And if we don't, then we get the Fed scenario of a very long and difficult slog. And again, Erica Groshen is Senior Labor Economics Advisor at Cornell University. And Mike is our next caller. Mike, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning to you all. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, folks, uh, uh, I've been in California since 84. I've seen up and down. And even 10, 15 years ago, I had a good portfolio, which I uh, was uh, basically in a situation that I had to uh, downsize and let a couple of my property go in real estate. And my son, thank God, he's in Southern California, ready to buy a home. And we do not know with this pandemic and recession long term that we're talking about may take longer. And he's trying to buy versus rent. I keep saying that if I buy now, maybe five years from now, my property may not go up, may go down. What do you guys uh, thinking about the impact of pandemic on real estate, either current owner or new owner, next five years or next 10 years, whatever it takes? To, uh, Mike, let me thank you for that question, an important one. And uh, Steve Levy, I'm going to go to you. Mortgage rates are an all-time low by the end of May, Steve. There's a surge in home buying even during this pandemic. California's problem is that most homes are not affordable for rent or for purchase. Um, forget about the high-end market. What California needs, and it can be part of a stimulus program. For example, the governor and some of the business leaders are talking about an economic recovery bond in California. As I said Earlier, one of the things that could do double duty would be to massively support the construction of housing for homeless folks and low-income folks, both of whom actually are at increased risk for the virus because of overcrowding. Um, I can't tell your listener whether it's a good time to buy or not, but I can tell listeners that one of the challenges in California for long-term recovery is being able to develop a supply of housing that is affordable to low- and middle-income people. That is a huge challenge so that even if employers offer jobs and people can't afford the housing, they will go bypassed. But I want to go back to Erica's point before you go to another. There are two buckets. There's support and their stimulus. And your listeners have brought up two examples, the musicians in the hotel industry, where in-person events are not going to come back for a long time. So we need a nuanced 
support program that recognizes that whatever we do, there are going to be a lot of people that depend for their jobs on in-person events that are going to need support for a longer period of time. But Erica's main point, and you said a Marshall Plan, is that we need to move beyond support to a major, major stimulus program that could build houses, that could retrofit buildings to save energy, that could increase transportation investments, that could provide a whole series of jobs. Perhaps we'd have some affirmative action programs. But support and wishful thinking alone is not going to do it. We need a major, major um, stimulus program um, to help all people. Again, Stephen Levy is director of the Center for Continuing Study uh, of the California Economy. Let me read some tweets that are coming in and some emails. A listener tweets, how do you score capitalism, which this country is based on, and a robust social safety net for those in the wrong end of the spectrum? And that indeed is a question looming over this whole conversation, I believe. Let me read another tweet from Noel who says, if the federal government did what Denmark did, pay those who could not work due to the pandemic, we would not be talking about this economic scenario. If we took money from the bloated military budget to pay Americans a stipend to weather this storm, imagine what good that could do. And another tweet from Aaron who says, for these huge stimulus bills, past and potentially future, who ends up paying the trillions? Future taxpayers? Or can the Fed just safely print the money without throwing inflation out of control? Uh, and here's Barbara who writes, my income came from chair massage. Fewer people will be working in offices and companies will have less discretionary income. My Social Security pays only my rent in San Francisco. I am frightened when I think of the future. And I'm sure Barbara is speaking for many of you out there. Let me also read a comment from Deanne. I'm going to go to you on this, Jed, if I may. Uh, and again, uh, Jed Coco is chief economist for job posting site Indeed. This is Deanne saying, my concern is whether any of our numbers regarding employment or lack of it include independent contractors. They are usually employees who are mischaracterized as small businesses. Also, do we track whether people who work can cover their monthly expenses? If they can't, the unemployment numbers are not as useful. Jed? So there are different uh, data sources that um, capture independent contractors and others um, better and worse. Um, the uh, survey uh, that we've been talking about where the unemployment rate comes from um, does capture uh, essentially everyone uh, within the uh, civilian um, labor force. Um, and so you know, when we look at how many hours people are working, look at the unemployment rate, um, uh, that captures a broader set of people, not just those who work in companies. Um, but some of the um, uh, gig work contract work, freelance work, the, the uh, whole set of what uh, economists refer to as alternative work arrangements um, have certainly been hard hit so far in this pandemic. Um, many of them, uh, like uh, driving, um, uh, you know, demand has fallen as people are staying home. Um, some have increased. You know, there have been some kinds of uh, gig or temp work um, that has increased. Um, because it's at least temporarily uh, supporting this stay-at-home economy. Um, but uh, the pain so far has been widespread, uh, both for people uh, employed in traditional full-time jobs and certainly people uh, who've been in uh, all kinds of alternative work arrangements. 
Let me go back to a, a central question that I said hovers over um, a number of those things that I read, and I'll go to you on this if I can, Erica Groshen. Who pays mm -hmm. for the stimulus? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, the stimulus, the, this is one of the important roles of the federal government, frankly. Um, what happens with a recession is that you get this downward spiral, right? Uh, people become insecure because they're losing their jobs and, and they have fear of, of losing more jobs. They don't, uh, businesses don't know what to invest in or when to invest. And so that, that feeds on itself and gives you this downward spiral. And that's why the Great Depression lasted, that's a large part of why the Great Depression lasted for 10 years instead of being resolved um, in a shorter time like later recessions are. We've learned uh, through economic theory and through actual practice that, that the government, that this is an important role for government to provide the stimulus to get, to prime the pump, to get things going again. And yes, it would be better, of course, if we weren't in this situation, but right now, uh, this is the situation that we face. And in the past, in the US, we have never made the mistake of investing in too much stimulus. We've always made the opposite mistake of doing too little too late. This is an opportunity to try and get it closer to right, and we're going to need to do that. But this is a big political question. I remember the last stimulus, the, the big one under President Obama, mm -hmm. there was very strong pushback from mm -hmm. the GOP, and there's pushback now from the Republicans. Uh, I mean, this gets into political waters to very deep way, profound way. It, 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 it is, but the economics is actually quite clear, and you find that even, um, even the more conservative of academic economists support the idea that that this is an actually important thing to do. And long, excuse me, as long as we're talking about conservative ec economists, yeah. I, I want to just yeah. add something else. And, and from your uh, economic standpoint, uh, especially labor yeah. economics, um, as I said, I've been sounding a bit grim here, but I was noticing reading Paul Krugman and Ben Bernanke, who mm -hmm. were both macroeconomics uh, economists, excuse me, yeah. they were both talking about going back to the Spanish flu, and they said, after the onslaught of something like the Spanish flu, if we do get out of this, there's really the possibility of uh, a V-shaped recovery. Well, uh, I think uh, most of the forecasts, uh, even the feds suggest that we can get some bounce back just like we saw last month, uh, fairly quickly of things like, you know, the dentist's offices and the, uh, and the physical therapy offices and things like that, uh, that, that where there's, we know that there's a continuing demand for these services and there are ways to make them safer than they were in the past. So there, there, there's the potential for a lot of that kind of pent up demand to, to bounce back fairly quickly. But the, that's not, um, I mean, we lost over 20 million jobs and this, this bounce back uh, that we got in May was 2.5 million. Yes, the biggest uh, one month job increase we've seen from the payroll survey, but still you know, less than a tenth of the jobs that were actually lost. So I think that there's this potential for a fairly quick uh, rebound virus permitting in the next few months, 
But after that, we are on this very low slog from conditions that are worse than we ever saw, certainly in the Great Recession. It and is that- a long slog, although, as I alluded to earlier, you have had some uh, positive lights to shed on that. And I didn't want to let that uh, stay unrevealed. You were talking about businesses coming back to the United States. In an interview mm-hmm. I saw that you did, you were also talking about the long union decline, maybe picking up at post-pandemic uh, and mm-hmm. unions being a force once again. And even though it's a long slog, uh, you said there are going to be new jobs that are going to be created for some of these graduates uh, who have just oh, made sure. it through baccalaureate yeah. degrees. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, th- th- there are the long-term trends that were already in place, all these uh, tech jobs being created. I don't think that uh, that those long-term trends will be undone. So uh, all the tech jobs, the trade jobs we talked about, jobs associated with our aging economy, um, energy changes, the climate response, those will create new jobs. And then there are the COVID-related ones, um, more work electronic records in epidemiology, public health. Uh, there, there will be more employment, I think, in nursing homes and new childcare options as a result of this. All of the protective devices, those will be growing industries, the testing capacity, the jobs associated with remote access and communication, inventory and supply chain management, um, international cooperation, cooperation jobs, I would, I would hope would grow. And, uh, you know, adding to my list, these uh, innovative changes in arts and entertainment, not the same jobs we had before, but some new ones as we go in new directions. And it's good to get a little bit of positive light on this. Thank you for that. That's Erica Groshen again, who is Senior Labor uh, Economics Advisor at Cornell. And here's another caller, Suzanne, joining us from Pacifica. Suzanne, good morning. Hi. So I'm a a freelance employee, and I make 50% of my income from W-2s and 50% from 1099s. I applied for unemployment and and, am receiving it, fortunately, but was told they could only... They would only base it on my W-2 income, not my 1099 income. So I'm receiving unemployment basically on half of my earnings. I'm baffled by this. Uh, Can you help uh, shed some light here, Steve Levy? Um, She's correct. Um, It's a flaw in the law. But um, she's absolutely correct, and it raises this broader issue that the musician brought up, which is that people who receive much, if not most, of their income from not W-2 are not covered by traditional unemployment, although we have the pandemic program, and they are greatly at risk. And we need, um, because it's going to be a long recovery and because some of those people Um, need in-person things like concerts. We need to bring that into the support program. But if you have a minute, let me take 30 seconds and answer the second part of the stimulus question. Erica is right. At this point, we need stimulus. But down the road, there will be tax increases, and it points to the silliness of what the administration did in 2017. You're supposed to do stimulus in a recession, but recoup that money with modest tax increases when the economy is going good. And there will be a piper to pay. We shouldn't let that block the stimulus, but we shouldn't pretend 
that the recovery is going to pay for all of the stimulus money. There will be a, a reckoning and a political fight. Some taxes will go up to um, hopefully when we have a strong economy. Well, Larry Summers says, uh, former uh, Treasury Secretary under Clinton and economic advisor to Obama, what, we, what Congress needs to do is it needs to uh, completely adjust the tax system. Uh, we'll leave it there. Always good to have you with us, Steve Levy. Thank you for being with us this morning. And I want to also thank our other guests, Jed Colco and Erica Groshen. And let me tell you about the people that deserve a great deal of thanks behind the scenes here at Forum. Producers Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Ariana Prell, and Blanca Torres. And our senior editor is Dan Zalt. Engineer is Danny Bringer. Our interns are Michael King and Jameson Weiss. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovey Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. More of Forum up ahead. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.